0: shall we read in the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 3, from verse 13 of the third chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. (laughs) Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to the Jordan, unto John to be baptized of him. But John would have hindered him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. But Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffereth him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway from the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove, and coming upon him. And lo, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he afterward hungered, and the tempter came and said unto him, If thou art the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him into the holy city, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If Thou art the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and on their hands they shall bear thee up, lest haply thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, Again it is written, Thou shalt not make trial of the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him unto an exceeding high mountain, and sheweth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And he said unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. In the outline of the Gospel um, according to Matthew. Now you will remember that we have said that, as I see it, the Gospel according to Matthew falls most naturally into a fourfold division, and this fourfold division we have here in this, uh, on this board. The advent of God's King, the proclamation of the Kingdom by the King, the realization of the Kingdom to be through Calvary alone, and the passion and the triumph of God's King. Now last week we started upon the first of these divisions, the advent of God's king. And you will remember that after we would said a number of uh, general things about the um, uh, outline of this gospel, we then spoke about the genealogy of the king. Now, tonight, we come to the second um, subdivision of this first division, the birth of the king. I'm hoping that we may be able to complete the whole of this division, the advent of God's king this evening, but I'm not sure that we shall. We shall take a little bit of time upon these first four chapters because it is here that we have the foundation for the rest of the gospel. Now we come this evening then to the birth of the king from chapter 1, verse 18, if you will take your Bible and open it at Matthew chapter 1 from verse 18 to verse 23 of chapter 2. The birth of the king. We have dealt with the (coughs) pedigree of the king. The fact that he is the sum of the whole Old Testament. The, The Old Testament in all its parts is summed up in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah King, the seed of Abraham, the son of David, the rightful, long-promised Messiah. Now we come this evening to the actual birth of the King, the entry into the world, as we know it, of God's King. And we have a number of sub subdivisions, And the first um, is in this chapter 1 from verse 18 to verse 25. And it is the conception and birth of Christ. Now I have told you that in our outline we cannot stay too long. We are not doing an analytical study. We are passing over this book really and seeking only to draw out the salient point. But there are three really important points in these verses from verses 18 to 25 of chapter 1. The first is this, it is simply but dogmatically declared that the birth of God's King was not a natural birth. And all people Who try to say that the Bible does not teach this are dishonest. Either you must throw out the scriptures altogether or accept what they teach. Now, in these few verses, we have the simple dogmatic declaration that the Lord Jesus Christ was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born through a virgin. We have in these few verses the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ and upon his virgin birth the everlasting gospel by which we are all saved rests securely. Once you have destroyed The divine birth, the supernatural birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, you have destroyed the gospel. Now here, you will see it in verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Verse 20. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And again, back to verse 18, When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, that is engaged, not married, engaged, before they came together, She was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Three times in these few verses the claim is made that the Lord Jesus' birth, the birth of God's King, was not just a natural birth. It was the product of the Holy Ghost coming upon the Virgin Mary. That's the first salient point I wish to underline in this matter of the conception and birth of God's King. The second is this, the declaration here within these verses at the very beginning of the Gospel according to Matthew of Christ's essential work. Of Christ's essential work and it is of of his essential work and calling and it is all bound up with the significance of his name. You will find that in verse 21. He will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus is the Greek form, Aramaic Greek, then Greek form, of the original Joshua, or Jeshua or Jehoshua or Hosea or Oshea or Hosea down through the years this name passed through all these different forms and it simply means Jehovah is the Saviour or it can mean as uh, legitimately Jehovah or the Lord Is salvation. Well there's a glorious name. We have in these few verses. The declaration of the essential work and calling of God's king. The Lord is the savior. That was to be his work. That was his calling. The Lord is salvation. That was to be his work. And that was to be his calling. The third thing we have in these few verses, which so often we we sentimentally, as it were, run over at Christmas, is in verse 23, where we read this, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now this does not just mean that God is behind us and it doesn't just mean that God is blessing us. The significance of this name Emmanuel when it comes to the Lord Jesus is that God is here. Jesus is not a prophet. The Lord Jesus, God's king is no mere king, human king. The Lord Jesus is not some great religious teacher. He is not some amazing and powerful reformer. The Lord Jesus, God's King, is God present. That is God manifest in the flesh. That is God made man. What a tremendous revelation then we have in these few verses at the very beginning of the Gospel according to Matthew born of the Holy Ghost born through a virgin his work and his calling the salvation of his people and his person the mystery of his person God made flesh. I wish I could stay the whole evening there. Now we go on to the next subdivision which is from chapter 2 from verse 1 to verse 12 and it is the wise men's pilgrimage. The wise men's pilgrimage. Now I hope you've read all this because we can't spend the time this evening reading it. Um, If you've read it, it will mean something to you. If you haven't, well, you'll just have to rely on memory, which may not be so good. Now, there are one or two salient points here that we can underline for our help. The first is this. The wise men, or as they are often called the magi, were a definite class or profession in the ancient East, especially in the Middle East. They were a distinct class of men. They read the stars. They were astrologers. They looked at the heavens. Many of them were philosophers. They had understanding of times and seasons. Some of it was fraudulent. Some of it was satanic. Some of it was genuine. Now that's the first thing we can say. The second thing we can say about this little um, portion, about the pilgrimage of the wise men to the birth of the Lord Jesus, of God's King, is this. We are not told their number. Tradition tells us that there were three of them. And the reason we are told there were three was because in verse 11 we find three gifts were made. And therefore the tradition grew up that there were only three of the wise men and each had a gift which he offered. But another ancient tradition tells us there were 12 of them, which rather disturbs our mental picture of Christmas. Um, 12 wise men all crowding in. Um, We don't know the number, that's the first thing. The second thing is this, nor are we told that they are kings. Tradition tells us that these were three kings, but scripture certainly doesn't tell us this. It is thought that this grew up from the scripture in Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 3 where it says that nations shall come to thy rising and kings to thy brightness. Well, I don't know, but we cannot say they're kings. Scripture doesn't say that they were kings. But what we can say is this, they were undoubtedly pagans or Gentiles because no Jews of the dispersion were very fond of astrology. It was always considered, on the whole, to be rather heathen. And therefore, in all probability, the wise men here were Gentiles. They were outside of the covenant people of God. Now another point we have to raise, uh, we're doing rather a lot of demolishing work uh, here, But, what was the star they followed? What was the star they followed? Now we could again take the whole of this evening talking about the star which they followed. Because this star presents us with a lot of problems. Um, Was it a comet? If it was a comet, How did it appear for so long? Because these men first saw it in their home country, then took the journey, and then it reappeared again, which seems rather strange. It has been suggested that it might have been a comet. But the only thing about a comet is normally it's very bright, start with, and then fades out. So um, this doesn't seem to be a comet here, for it got even brighter, so it would seem. Uh, then again, was it a conjunction of the planets? Now, I, I suggest that if you're interested in this theory, which is a fascinating one, and if we had the time, I would have read you two or three things this evening, because just because it is so interesting, I suggest you read Werner Keller's uh, chapter on the star uh, that guided the wise men. Was it a conjunction of the planets? We know there was a conjunction of the planets, 7 BC. And we also know that the conjunction of those planets were each one symbolic of a king and of the messiah, the guardian planet of the Jewish people. These two came together at that time and were joined by another which was a a, a, a symbolic of great power and therefore it was thought since the sun had run its whole course and was about to turn uh, again uh, that uh, it was the beginning of a new era. Could that be? We also know that that conjunction of planets came three times. First in May, when it's possible that the men first saw it, it then reappeared on the Jewish Day of Atonement, which would have been very symbolic for men who were watching and knew anything about the people of God. The last time it appeared was about the end of November, beginning of December, which is thought by some to have been about the time the Lord Jesus was born. Now, there you are. However, the Bible says it was a star, not a conjunction of stars. Um, What can we say about that? The other possibility is that it was what we call a supernova, which is a new star. I'm afraid I'm not very up on these things, Um, but I understand that this becomes brighter and brighter and then burns out. Well, we don't know. There is one, there is a last possibility. It is a possibility that has always been ent- ty- entertained by many of the great divines. And that is that the star was a miraculous manifestation of God. Indeed, some of the old Puritan divines used to say that it was the Shekinah glory that had left Israel and was coming back. And that this that would have appeared to be a star would explain how it went before them, which no star would do, um, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Well, there are many, many interesting theories, but what we do know is that they were guided by a bright and very shining light to the place where the Lord Jesus lay. Now, another little point we make about this portion is that the wise men's gift were in keeping with the ancient eastern custom of presenting tribute gifts to a king. So now we are back again to the theme of Matthew because Matthew is the only one who tells us about the wise men and so it is extraordinary he tells us clearly what they offered and we know that these gifts were quite in keeping with that custom of offering um, tribute to kings. To a king or kings. So we can say that in this, Matthew presents Christ as king. And the Gentiles coming to his rising. Now it is extraordinary that Matthew, whose gospel is really written with Jews in mind, with Hebrew Christians in mind, should have been the one who continually underlines the fact that Gentiles are included. In his genealogy, he's the only one who brings in a number of, of Gentile women of all people and sinners. It's extraordinary, quite extraordinary. As if underlining the fact that, uh, that uh, although this, this is a gospel that shows him as the Messiah who is coming, Yet it is to Gentiles. Gent- he is the salvation of all sinners, Gentiles and Jews. Here then we have these wise men coming, a token representative of the vast, gray, innumerable multitude of Gentiles that would finally come into the salvation of God through God's King. You and me. And then we go on to the next portion, which we have entitled The Flight to Egypt, from verse 13 to verse 15. I think it is self-explanatory, there is nothing there that we really need to underlie except that it was the fulfilment of Scripture. And then we go on to The Massacre of the Babes from verse 16 to verse 18. Now there are two little points here I wish to underline. One is this, that Bethlehem and its surrounding adjacent area would not have had so large a population and probably there would have been, it has been estimated, about 30 and at the most 40 children murdered. Nevertheless that is terrible. And so it would not have been considered to be one of the vilest and foulest of Herod's crimes. He had crucified thousands at one time in his history. So um, this murder of the babes at Bethlehem would have just been considered quite mundane and, and, and ordinary. The second thing is this, that verse 16 does not necessarily mean that the Lord Jesus was two years of age. It says there that he slew all those of two years and under. Well, then he ascertained ascertained, um, the time uh, from the wise men, according to the time which he ascertained from the wise men. Now, we don't know whether the star appeared at the conception of the Lord Jesus, or whether it first appeared when he was actually born, because Matthew tells us that the wise men came to the Lord Jesus when he was in a house, whereas we are told in Luke that there was no place in any inn for him. Now I suggest, and this is pure speculation, and only when we're in the glory will we discover whether it could possibly be true, that it is possible that perhaps one of the shepherds took him home, took them home into his own home. Mm -hmm. We don't know. All we know is that there was no room for them, but later on we find that they're in the house, and when the wise men came they did not go to uh, to the stable, But they went, as so often is depicted, they went to him in a house. Now some have therefore decided that the wise men came (laughs) to see the Lord Jesus when he was a year or more old. We don't know. What we do know is this, that when Herod had ascertained what time the star appeared, he made absolutely sure that every child was destroyed. He probably added a year just to be certain. So that in fact, all children, even the faintest possibility of a child coming within the orbit of the birth of God's King, should be destroyed. Then we go on to the uh, last portion in this division, the subdivision, the birth of the King, the return from Egypt. The return from Egypt, from verse 19 to verse 23. I wonder whether you've noticed, if you've been reading, and if you underline anything, especially phrases, um, um, Matthew is an, a, a remarkable, has a remarkably ordered mind and disposition. And I wonder whether you've noticed um, the way um, God speaks in dreams. I don't know if you've noticed that. Five times in these portions we've been considering, God spoke, appeared to Joseph, or to the wise men, um, in a dream. Uh, It seems that Joseph had a number of dreams, the type of man he was, possibly. Um, But what we do know is this, that in these verses we have the return to Israel and the settling down in Nazareth and Christ's, uh, um, uh, let me put it this way, in these verses we have really with the return to israel and then the settling down in nazareth and then later the baptism of christ in chapter 3 we have really the 30 hidden years the 30 hidden years of of which so little is said in uh, scripture but these 30 years at nazareth of normal Routine life and work lie behind the three years of Christ's ministry. Well, now, there, we, there we've there we covered just very swiftly the outline, the birth of the king. Now, we come to the next of these subdivisions, the herald of the king. For chapter 3, from verse 1 to 12. Now, I have divided it again into two. The first I have called the preparation for the king. From verse 1 to 10, the preparation for the king. John the Baptist's ministry was to prepare a people for Christ's coming, <coughs> cleansed, ready, and waiting for the kingdom of heaven. The outward sign of that readiness was baptism in the River Jordan, with public confession of sin. Now this is not Christian baptism, it is John's baptism. And as it were, his whole ministry was summed up and expressed in this sign. If people accepted the ministry of the Herald of the King, they got baptized. If they rejected the ministry of the herald of God's king, they didn't get baptised. So we have here uh, in this uh, a sign of repentance, not of new birth. A sign of repentance, not of new birth. So I think we could sum up by saying that the objective of John's, John the Baptist's ministry is condensed in this baptism. Um, Now this is shown very clearly in these few verses. We are told, um, first in verse 2, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then it goes on, verse 6, Um, uh, verse 5 then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan and they were baptised by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins now again you see uh, verse 7 when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism he said to them you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come bear fruit that befits repentance In other words, it is clear that this outward sign of baptism uh, was very important in the ministry of John the Baptist, not because in itself it did anything, but because it was a sign, a testimony of people who were ready to forsake their sin and confess their sin and, as it were, prepare themselves for the coming kingdom of heaven. John, the key note of John's ministry was repent for the kingdom of heaven is upon you. Now that must be understood if you will understand the second aspect to John the Baptist's ministry. On the one hand it was to call people to repentance, to readiness for the king. He was the herald of the king. The other aspect of his ministry was a description, a definition of what was the king's objective. Now this is most important. We have it contained in the verse 11 and verse 12. Here we have it. I baptise you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. A description of the objective of Christ's ministry and work now let's draw out a few points I'm going to stop here for a moment not only because there is so much talk about this matter today but also because I believe it is absolutely vital that we should underline and emphasise what really is presented here it is so important that all four gospels of this matter they all quote John the Baptist in different ways on this particular instance it is considered by all to be so absolutely vital now the first thing we can say is this Christ is here described as the baptizer with the Holy Spirit and fire a most striking title the Baptizer with the with the Holy Spirit and with fire. stop and think. People talk about the baptism of the Spirit, uh, but they sometimes get into a mess because they have not understood the Baptizer with the Spirit. The first thing to get absolutely clear is who baptizes here we are. He who comes after me he baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now in other words, as baptism in water unto repentance was the objective of John the Baptist's ministry, so this baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire is the objective of Christ's ministry and work. Now what is meant here? It seems quite clear to me that this this term is a comprehensive term, for it would be extremely strange if it only described one aspect of the Holy Spirit's work. Do you not think it would be extraordinary if we had at the beginning of each one of the Gospels uh, just an aspect, in other words if really we are told that um, I, my ministry consists of calling people to repentance that's my job but his job is to give you power that would seem to me to be an extraordinary extraordinary strange statement if John the Baptist has given us as it were, in a few words what is the condensation of his ministry, then surely we must also understand that we have here the condensation of the Lord's ministry and work. What is this then? Well, the baptism of the Spirit would seem to me from these scriptures and from other scriptures to be a comprehensive term covering the whole work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you will take your Bible, I want you to to look through it and see whether this is so. First of all, Mark chapter 1 and verse 8. Mark chapter 1 and verse 8. I baptized you in water, but he shall baptize you in the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 3 verse 16. John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water. But there cometh he that is mightier than I, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. Then John chapter 1, verse 33. John chapter 1, verse 33. And I knew him not, said John the Baptist, But he that sent me to baptize in water, he said unto me, Upon whomsoever thou shalt see the Spirit descending and abiding upon him, the same is he that baptizeth in the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now here we have an interesting fact. Because if we go back to verse 29, we find this, Behold, The Lamb of God who beareth away the sin of the world. Verse 33, he baptizeth with the Holy Spirit. The Lamb of God who beareth away the sin of the world is the same one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now if you go on to Acts and chapter 1. And thus, for, we read, and being assembled together with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, said he, ye heard from me. For John indeed baptized with water, now Jesus is saying this, but ye shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus said this now. But ye shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit, not water. Many days hence. Verse 8. But ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit is come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Turn over the pages. And we come to chapter 2. Now here the word baptism of the Spirit or baptizing, being baptized in or with the Spirit is not mentioned as in all these other instances but we have got the description of what happened which helps us to understand what is meant by the phrase and when the day of Pentecost was now come they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound as of the rushing of a mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them tongues here's the fire parting asunder like as of fire and it sat upon each one of them that is one great fire divided up to each one that everyone had a portion of the fire. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Turn over the pages to chapter 11, verse 16, and we have John speaking, verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them even as on us at the beginning, And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If then God gave unto them the like gift as he did also unto us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And then if you turn on to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. We read this, for in one spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether bond or free, and were all made to drink of one spirit. The word again, baptism of the spirit. Baptized by the spirit into one body, made to drink of the one spirit. Now if you turn in that same chapter back to verse 3, we read this. No man can say Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit, or in the Holy Spirit the literal word, but in the Holy Spirit. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit to profit with all. And then you can go on to verse 11, and you will find all the way through, it is the Spirit. Verse eleven, but all these work at the one and the same Spirit, dividing to each one severally, even as He will. One Spirit, dividing severally, as He will. As symbolically seen in the fire that came down on the day of Pente- Pentecost, when it divided and each upon each was like a tongue of, of, of fire. Now, this is all I think very interesting. But we have to look at a few more scriptures if we can. Uh, understand this term we have to turn back to Luke this is where all the confusion comes you see from these scriptures sometimes it seems we're speaking of those who've just been saved they seem to enter into it just when they're saved other cases it seems they enter in after they've been saved now what does it all mean we turn to Luke 24 and we find again Luke 24 verse 49 Behold, I send forth the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city until ye be clothed with power from on high. Clothed with power from on high. There's a description of what it means to be baptised with the Spirit and with fire. Clothed with power from on high. Then if you turn to John chapter 7, verse 37 we have in different terms again the same thing but it expressly tells us so although it doesn't say it's uh, used the phrase baptism with the spirit now on the last day the great day of the feast jesus stood and cried saying if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink he that believeth on me as the scripture said from within him shall flow out rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now when the Lord Jesus was glorified, the day of Pentecost came. We have one more scripture that we can turn to. In Acts chapter 2, amongst many, Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Being therefore, Jesus, being therefore by the right hand of God exalted, glorified, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he hath poured forth this which ye see and hear. Verse 39, 38. Brethren, brethren. Uh, And Peter said unto them, Repent ye and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, unto the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For to you is the promise, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Unto him. Now we can't turn this into a study um, on the baptism of the Spirit because we are dealing with Matthew. But what I want you to understand this evening is that at the very beginning of the Gospel according to Matthew, in this section entitled The Advent of the King, the Coming of the King, just before he steps out, into his public ministry, which is to lead him to his great life work of our salvation, John the Baptist gives this most concise description of the objective of his ministry. What is it? He says, he baptizer with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Just a sentence. What does it mean? just a sentence. I say that if you whittle down that term to mean something less than the whole work and ministry of the Holy Spirit, you cannot by any means fit all the scriptures in. You've got to be dishonest somewhere or other you've got to slide over scriptures you've got to explain them away the only way in the end you can explain is this we have here a comprehensive term for the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit everything now is that true or is it not well now let me go on give me a few more moments and I think I shall be able to explain this if God gives the grace and the help it is vitally important that you and I should understand that we can experience nothing let me repeat absolutely nothing except by and through the Holy Spirit it is impossible to know God, to understand God or to experience anything of God, initially, progressively, or finally, without the Holy Spirit. If that was understood, you and I would begin to understand this glorious title, He that baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Do you honestly think that the Lord Jesus, he came into this world simply to give only power? Surely that's not all that's contained in this. My dear friend, in this title there is a spiritual universe. An ocean unexplored. World upon world in the spirit. He that baptizeth with the spirit. God is spirit. Spirit. He that worshippeth must worship him in spirit and in truth. Otherwise we're just creatures of the soul, creatures of flesh, creatures of the dust. Our minds are limited, our tongues are limited, everything is limited. We're, we're, just, we're just in the realm of religion. But the the breaking of the sound barrier is by the spiritual sound barrier, is by the Holy Spirit. Then you've gone right through into a new realm, into a new dimension. And how? By your striving? (laughs) By your faith? By your zeal? By your devotion, my dear friend? Never. He is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit and it has been on on the the solid basis of what he did on calvary and finished on calvary that he baptizes with the holy spirit now what i say is true i've said that we can experience nothing of god except by the holy spirit now let me just run through just a few things and i i can't go through all the scriptures Uh, I can only trust you when you get the notes that you will plough through the scriptures and see whether these things are so. New birth. Born of the Spirit. Union with Christ. He that is joined to the Lord is one Spirit. Knowledge of God. How can you know the Lord? To the natural man it is foolishness. For it is spiritually discerned. And so we can go guidance. Those that are led by the Spirit of the sons of God. Guidance. Sanctification. How can you be sanctified but by the Holy Spirit? Power. Endued with power from on high. Ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit is come upon you. Fullness, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled unto all the fullness of God. Can you know any fullness apart from the Holy Spirit? Service whom I serve in the Spirit. How can you know true service unless it's in the Spirit? The gifts of God are all by the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who qualifies. It is the Holy Spirit who gives. It is the Holy Spirit who manifests the gift. It is the Holy Spirit who does all. The fruit of the Spirit? Well, the fruit of the Spirit. Self-explanatory. Now, here you've got a whole realm. In other words, it is perfectly clear and patent that you and I can know nothing of God except by the Spirit. But just in case some people think that I'm trying to say that you get it all when you're born again, I am not. I am not. There is an anointing that must nearly always come after you've been born again. There is a being made perfect in love, which by its very nature is a second thing. It is something you must go on to. These things, we must go on. But you can know nothing of God initially. That is, you can't enter into the family of God. You can't enter into the kingdom of God but by the Spirit. You can't be justified but by the Spirit. You cannot know repentance and faith, but by the Spirit, initially. Progressively, you cannot know what it is to be sanctified. You cannot know what it is to put to death the deeds of the body. You cannot know what it is to walk by the Spirit. All is by the Spirit. Progressively, you can't know what it is to be anointed for power. The unction of God to come upon you. That's progressive. But I want to tell you something else. When you think the work of the Holy Spirit is over, it isn't over. But do you know that the resurrection of the body is the work of the Spirit? The redemption of the body will be the work of the Spirit. He that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead is one day going to raise you and me up. Glorious fact. You ever thought of that? That old body that we're going to put to, into dust? it's going to go back to dust and ashes unless the Lord come back quickly. Well, it's going to be by the Spirit. I'll tell you another thing. If we should live and remain to the coming of the Lord, how will we be changed in the twinkling of an eye? Surely it is by the Spirit. If the Lord Jesus was born of the Spirit, if the Lord Jesus was anointed by the Spirit, If the Lord Jesus was led with the Spirit, if the Lord Jesus um, uh, offered himself up on the cross by the Spirit, if the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead by the Spirit, how much more do you and I need the Holy Spirit's work? If if our Lord Jesus Christ, God's perfect man, could do nothing but by the Spirit of God, who was without sin, and perfect in all his ways, how much more do you and I need the Holy Spirit in our lives? Here it is then. And I want to say something more to make it even more abundantly clear, I hope. The Holy Spirit is not some mere impersonal agent or agency. He is not some uh, kind of means without personality. Uh, a kind of influence of God. A kind of um, mechanical way or method. You know, I do believe that many of us, we would, we would all draw back from this, but I do believe that many of us have not realized that um, the Holy Spirit is a person. You know, I I have to confess myself to this. We tend to think, because we use the phrase so often, by the spirit. Oh Father, that I might know thee by the Spirit. We tend to think that by the Spirit means by an agency. He's just an agency. Just an agency. The Father is a person. The Son is a person. The Spirit is a kind of agency. Agency. He's the agent. Uh, impersonal they, uh, uh, just the kind of mechanical means who introduces us to the Father and the Son who, who and, uh, the means, the mechanical means by which we're born again the kind of influence of God by which we're sort of led and kept in the way of God my dear friend the Holy Spirit is not that the Holy Spirit is a person, one God, three persons. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Spirit. God, the Spirit. And now, let's get to the point. Christ, God the Son, baptizes us with God the Spirit that we might forever know God the Father what an operation what an operation did you realise that you unworthy, sinful insignificant you were the operation in which the whole triune God has worked God the Son Bestowing God the Spirit that you might know God the Father. That was why Jesus came. You see, God the Son's work, His calling, was to go right through, right through human life, right through to death, and then through the grave, up back to the throne of God that God the Spirit might be bestowed upon us by a glorified, enthroned Son. And why has the Holy Spirit been bestowed upon us? That we might just have ecstasies? Thank God that sometimes there are ecstasies. That we might just have a thrill? That we might see tremendous things, miracles, works, signs, wonders? Is that all? Oh, my dear friend, you're on, the, you're on the edges of his ways. You're just on the edges of his ways. Do you think God is a God of fireworks? you think God is only interested in just sort of a kind of outward display of things? Why, that's only the evidence that he's present. That's only the evidence that he's here. He can do anything he wants to. But the real thing is this. That you and I, by God the Spirit... May be brought back to God the Father. Through God the Son. There you are. And that's why all four Gospels say. I baptize with water. But he that cometh after me baptizeth with the Holy Spirit. And with fire. We need to know practically. In our experience. All that this means. And I stress all because I think that the tragedy is that either we think we've got it and we haven't. We've only started. Or we think it all lies in the future and it doesn't. The fact of the matter is that you and I need to experience all that it means that Jesus Christ is the Baptizer. With the Holy Spirit and with fire. Let me ask you a question. Do you know? Do you know? Why here we are studying the gospel according to Matthew. Tell me. Have you really. Do you know what it is to be baptized. In the Holy Spirit. And in fire. Born of the Spirit. Yes. Justified through the Spirit. Yes. Tell me do you know anything of the cross in your life. Do you know anything of the fullness of God in your life? Do you know anything of endurement with power in your life? That's what it means. Oh, that you and I might experience something more of the meaning of this that Christ. let me put it this way because Christ died and rose again on the third day and ascended on high that he might immerse you in God the Spirit that he might pour forth upon us all God the Spirit now let me qualify that that does not mean that you and I Spend all our time speaking about the Spirit. For the very nature of the Holy Spirit is that He doesn't speak from Himself no. or of Himself, but that He continually takes us back to the Father back to the Son, and enables us to glorify and magnify the Father and the Son, that we might live Christ-centered lives, lives that are filled unto all the fullness of God. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. No more beautiful term, no more beautiful symbol is used of the Holy Spirit than the down. Something so retiring, so shy, so reticent, we are not given the picture of the Holy Spirit, just simply, as one is always forward. Of course, fire is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. But when he came upon the Lord Jesus Christ, he descended upon him in bodily form, like a down. In other words, here you've got the heart of the ministry of God the Spirit. That's why the scripture says, grieve not the Spirit an extraordinary thing. It doesn't say grieve not Christ. It says grieve not the Spirit as if the Holy Spirit is one who can easily be grieved. Quench not the Spirit. Oh, how easy it is to talk about the Spirit lightly. How easy it is to grieve the Holy Spirit. the dove. it gone. Just gone. Now back again to this portion. The kingdom of heaven can only be entered, experienced, enjoyed, and served by, in, and with the Holy Spirit. And that's really what John uh, uh, the Baptist is trying to say. He's saying to you and to me, you see my ministry is all to do with the kingdom of heaven which is upon you. I tell you that the King is the one who baptizes, who bestows, who gives the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. He baptizes in the Holy Spirit and in fire. You can't know entry into the kingdom apart from the Holy Spirit. You cannot know what it is to experience the kingdom of heaven but by the Holy Spirit. You cannot know what it is to serve the kingdom of heaven but by the Holy Spirit. Now then, who are we introduced to? The Holy Spirit? No, John's led us to the heart of the matter. He, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In other words, we're back to Christ. You see, you can't, the kingdom of God is within the spirit. The kingdom of God is not, listen, is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is within the spirit of God. How can we get in? Only by Christ. How can we enjoy it? Only, Only by Christ. But how? Because Christ is the one who can give the Holy Spirit. He can baptise us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. But just in case <coughs> we've overlooked one little point here, do note it says, He baptises us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It's a point some people overlook, and with fire. <coughs> Which means this, that you can't get into the kingdom of God without fire. So what are you looking for, dear child of God? You're wanting to get into the kingdom the shortest possible way? You want to enjoy it with the minimum of suffering and trial? Fire, fire speaks of warmth. Fire speaks of energy. Yes, fire speaks of light. Yes, fire speaks of purging. And if you read these verses, you will see that there is a purging work as well. Baptised with fire. Do you know that? Does that explain why your way is sometimes rather difficult? Does it explain why it's not all a bed of roses? Because on the one hand, God has bestowed upon you the Holy Spirit, yes, but he's also bestowed fire. Well there's such a lot that we could say I think really we've come to the end of our time this evening Uh, perhaps we should conclude by simply saying you see there is a whole realm into which you and I are brought by the Holy Spirit now the tragedy of the matter is this that many Christians don't even know as we've heard in these last days that there is a Holy Spirit it's tragic often you find people who know they're saved they've made a decision for Christ they know he's forgiven them Objectively they know he is their saviour. But beyond that they know nothing. That's why sometimes we enter into an experience of the Holy Spirit that turns us upside down and eclipses our conversion. It seems so tremendous that our conversion seems quite small compared with it. As if we've been turned right upside down and we don't know where we are. Tremendous, tremendous experience. Well, now, many of us may have to come into that if we don't know the work of the Holy Spirit, like that God will lead us. But remember this, it is Christ who is the baptizer. Don't you think you can get there under your steam? Don't you think that by your works you can obtain the Holy Spirit? It has come home to me like this. <clears throat> and this is where I... Well, then, you won't find this in the notes, by the way. This is how it's come home to me. I received the person of Christ when I was converted by the Spirit. There comes a time when I must receive the person of the Holy Ghost by Christ quite simple. There must come a time in my life where I suddenly realize that the Holy Spirit is a person. That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit was not in me. Oh, not at all. (coughs) For every single child of God, the Holy Spirit is within, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, born of the Holy Spirit. Truly but there comes a time when you realise I know it happened in my experience in in a very simple way I wandered for a few years in darkness just trying, trying, trying to live the victory life I heard so much about and couldn't live and then one afternoon I spent an afternoon in prayer and in that afternoon it was just as if heaven opened to me there were only two things in it the first was this I realized for the first time that God, the Holy Spirit, was within me, and that he was within me to reproduce the life and character of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a revelation. I had received the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit, and I was born of God, but I didn't know what it was to live in his life. I didn't know what it was to be led of the Spirit. I didn't know what it was to really inwardly know him. Oh, I had plenty of experiences in one way or another, but uh, nothing really that I could say was rivers of living water. Nothing like that. Then I understood that the Holy Spirit was not just a thing, an it, an influence, an agent. I understood that the Holy Spirit was a person and that he was within. I received him. That's what it means when some people say they've received the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean they've never, he's not there. It means that they say, come, you're a person. I give myself to you, you're a person. Just as I realized when I was converted that Christ was a person, by the Spirit I received him. My whole salvation depended upon him. Now I know theologically I could be shot down on this. Completely. Theologically. But it may help you to understand that. I received the person of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit. There came a time when I realized that the Holy Spirit was a person to be received by Christ the bestower. Two sides. Well have you received the Holy Spirit like that? have you? Is he in you like that? That's where the Lord's leading us in these days not just to the tinsel, not just to the output, not just to those things that are important and are necessary but one day will go I'll tell you one thing my dear friend, there'll come a day when all these things will cease. But the Holy Spirit will never cease. And he that has bestowed him upon us. He who has baptized us with him and into him. Immersed us in him. He is forever. And the Holy Spirit is forever. We don't know what lies ahead. I only know... But one of the most exciting scriptures in the Bible is this. Now is it clear, it says in John 1, John 2, 1 John 3. Beloved, it is clear, I'm putting it in my own language, it is clear that we are children of God. But it is not yet manifest what we shall be. I think that's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. We are children of God, which is incredible grace. But it is not yet made manifest what we shall be. What does that mean? What does it mean? The signs, the gifts, the scaffolding will one day disappear. But the essential person of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and of you and me, will go on, on and on. And our world without end. May the Lord open our eyes to what it means. At the very beginning of this gospel, He baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Shall we pray? Beloved Lord, oh how thankful we are that Thou didst go through this life, and Thou didst triumph, and that Lord Thou didst ascend on high, and Thou art the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Oh may every one of us Lord enter more and more into the meaning of all this. May we know, Lord, life in the Spirit. May we know something of the gifts of Thy Spirit, of the fruit of Thy Spirit, of that endowment with power. May we know what it is to worship Thee in spirit and in truth. May we know what it is to serve Thee in the Spirit. Lord, we commit ourselves to Thee. We are but children. Our understanding is so limited and so restricted. But we thank Thee that the the Holy Spirit of whom we have spoken is here with us and can lead us into all the truth as it is in Jesus. O Father, so lead us, we pray, personally and corporately, to the glory and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.